Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome on in. On a Wednesday morning, it's a game night for the Utah Jazz. Kind of, sort of, barely. It's really important. It doesn't look that fascinating. They've got to win the games they should. If they're going to be the one seed, if they're going to go in the playoffs with momentum. Uh, Quinn Snyder keeps saying that he wants the team to be playing its best basketball. Obviously wants them to be healthy. Well, if they're playing their best basketball, they are going to annihilate the Houston Rockets. The Rockets have got the complete rebuild coming. They made the Harden trade earlier this season. Uh, they were 11-10 and 10 on the night of Thursday, Thursday, February 4th, after a win at, at Memphis. And after that, everything fell apart. They lost 20 games in a row. And since then, they have gone 4-33. Uh, and 33. So after the 20-game losing streak, boy, there's a phrase you never want to hear. After the 20-game losing streak, they kind of pulled it together and gone 4-13. and 13. They're not a good team. And they're not only losing, they're getting blown out. Their most recent game, Miami beat them by 22. Game before that, they actually beat Orlando. But Orlando's another team that was gutted by midseason trades. Orlando went and traded off their three best players, so... <laughs> that was that was one sorry team meeting another sorry team. One team headed for a rebuild, meeting another team headed for a rebuild. Um, they also lost to Denver on Friday by 29. So throughout the Orlando game, they lost to Denver by 29 and Miami by 22. The Jazz, if you want to rest, and Mark Jackson brought this up on the pot, on the uh, broadcast on the ESPN broadcast Monday night during the Laker game. If you want rest, do it old school style. Blow teams out, sit in the fourth quarter. Why can't the Jazz win every quarter by 10 points? It's five possessions. Well, if you're shooting the three well, it's three or four possessions. And up by 10, up by 20, up by 30, and sit in the fourth quarter. Just blow the thing wide open. Dominate. You're way better than Houston. There's no reason to have starters in there playing tough minutes in the fourth quarter. And after this, they get two days off. They'll play again until, wait for it, Minnesota on Saturday. And if Houston and Minnesota is in tough enough stretch, they double down with a trip to Minnesota on Monday. So there's some winnable games coming up here for the Jazz. While the second-place Suns, who are a game and a half back, both teams were off last night, while the second-place Suns are slogging through the worst of their trip. Uh, they beaten they beat Milwaukee. They got off to a good start. They got a back-to-back with Boston and with, uh, what, Philadelphia? And then uh, they've got the two New York teams. So for the Suns, they got two back-to-backs now over the course of this week. And the Jazz, meanwhile, are playing the worst teams in the league. So the Jazz take care of business, beat the Rockets, beat the Timberwolves a couple times. (laughs) Believe it or not, after that, they have the Sacramento Kings. So it's uh, it ought to be four straight wins here for the Jazz. Well, five since they've already already beaten the Lakers, and they have you know one straight win. Um, but it's Philly um, tonight for Phoenix. So chance to Jazz pick up a game today if they take care of business and if Philly can beat the Suns. And then they go back-to-back with Boston. So it's Philly to Boston, and then the back-to-back Sunday and Monday with Brooklyn and New York. So chance for the Jazz to take care of business and pull away. Wouldn't be surprising to me if the Jazz were up by three games on the Suns by the time they play them on April 30th. When the road trip ends, they fly back and play the Clippers at home. And speaking of the Clippers, I don't know if you stayed up and saw this game last night or if you checked it out online, but that was a heck of a game from Paul George. 
Kawhi Leonard's been resting. It's a foot injury. They're saying it's kind of precautionary. There's a little bit of a problem. They don't want to turn into a big problem. You know, you're a big guy and you're running up and down the court, just all your weight pounding on that foot. A little foot problem can turn into a big problem. I know whenever Kawhi Leonard sits, eyebrows go up because he's taken uh, resting and missing games to the to the highest level of art form. I mean, he started in San Antonio, and they're really the one who turned this into a trend. They were very committed to resting their guys. And so he comes in there after Ginobili and Parker and Duncan have been resting, and he rests, and then he goes to Toronto and rests, but then plays in the playoffs and wins the championship. I think, I think he took so much time off last year. There were probably multiple problems, but there were definitely problems with team chemistry and the locker room. You know, there's some guys who have been pretty successful in the team that have been pretty successful the year before he got there and before Paul George got there. And let's just say it didn't come together. You know, they let Montrez Harrell go. They made some other roster moves. They let the coach go. Doc Rivers is now in Philadelphia. So, But for the Clippers, no Kawhi Leonard. He's resting with a foot injury, and Paul George plays, and they're playing the Blazers, and Lillard's out, so it's kind of, you know, each team has one of their their two big stars. McCollum did play, uh, but Paul George went off. And McCollum, 28 points, five rebounds, five assists, you know, it's not like McCollum had a bad game, but Paul George went for 33 points. He had 11 rebounds. And he scored six points in the final minute. He scored on each of the Blazers' last three possessions. He got a layup, he got a bucket, and then he got two free throws. And the two free throws came with five seconds left. He scored with 55 seconds, he scored with 33 seconds, he scored with five seconds left. And the Blazers only scored on one of their last three possessions. Now, they didn't have Lillard, the go-to guy, so there's that. Um, McCollum uh, gave him a big shot. I guess he scored on one of their last four because McCollum hit a shot, hit a big three to put him up five. And then he missed a shot, and Norman Powell missed a shot. And Powell had a pretty good game. He had 23 points. He was 10 of 20, 3 of 10 from three. McCollum was 3 of 12 from three. Um, not great percentages. And the Clippers get out of there. With the one-point win, they survived a shot at the buzzer, and you know it would have been easy to just go one for two at the line, and Paul George didn't do it. He hit them both with five seconds left for the winning tying point and then the winning point. Six of his 33 in the final minute, you got to give up to Paul George. He's having a really good regular season. That was a big-time performance in a regular season setting. I know he's got to do it in the playoffs, but you got to applaud what he pulled off last night. Clippers beat the Blazers. So... Updated standings in the West now. The Jazz are still in first place, and they are a game and a half up, one in the loss column, but a game and a half up on the Suns. And then the uh, the Clippers are next. The Clippers are third, and they are three games back of the Jazz, game and a half behind the Suns. And then it's two and a half more games to the Nuggets. So there it is. There are the top four. Lakers uh, sitting in fifth place, but pretty comfortably. Portland just can't get it together. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. I think they've lost four of their last five. So whatever issues the Lakers are, have, are having, it's not enough to drop to six. That's not going to happen. I think the Lakers are going to end up in the 4-5 series, and if the Jazz hold on to the top spot, they're probably going to see the Lakers in the second round, assuming the Lakers beat the Nuggets. Jazz Nuggets round two after the series we saw last year wouldn't be awful, even without Jamal Murray. We'll see if Jokic can... Uh, can go crazy and eliminate the Lakers because it does look like the Nuggets and Lakers are headed for that 4-5 series and uh, and, and headed for a first-round matchup. All right, DJ and PK, we're going to take a break. Still to come, uh, we got a little college football for you. Well, actually, a little pro football. Uh, um, we got to talk NFL draft coming up, although I do have a college football story, a uh, – 
Steve Young, Zach Wilson story. I don't know if any of you saw this on TV. Uh, we'll get to that coming up. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. We are joined now by Dane Brugler, NFL draft analyst for The Athletic. Dane, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you doing today? Good. We are uh, constantly amazed by all the love being thrown, not just to the top two quarterbacks and not just to the local guy out of BYU, but five quarterbacks at the top of the draft. And you can go through the history of the NFL draft and you can find guys who... Came in in the first round and were totally worth a pick. Man, they were great for their team, and their team won a lot, in some cases won Super Bowls because of them. But you also see a bunch of busts up there. And at any point, do you step back, look big picture, and think, wow, if five of the first nine picks, or whatever it turns out to be, are first-round picks, there are some teams completely setting themselves up for bustville here because there's no way all these guys are going to work out. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's what history tells us. You know, no matter how confident we are in these evaluations, uh, you know, history tells us that of these five quarterbacks, uh, at least two of them will not live up to expectations. And, you know, it's so much depends on landing spot, so much depends on development or lack thereof, you know, the coaching, the supporting cast. So, uh, you know, it, it's something where you just, you know, the, all these quarterbacks are talented. There's no, there's no question about that. But when you go to the NFL, there's so much, so many more variables involved. First of all, just with college football, the NFL, two, two different sports. Um, and then when you're in a locker room with 30 year old veterans who, you know, are talking about, uh, you know, their, uh, their contract situation, this and that, it's just, it, it's tough for some of these young guys to step into that type of role and, and produce early on. So, where they end up is going to hopefully, you know, it's going to be a good spot for them, both personality-wise and play-wise. But, yeah, like you said, history tells us that, uh, you know, some of these guys aren't going to work out. But if you're the team, you have to to take a chance. You know, at least I I want to swing. Uh, I I want my chance at bat. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But I'm going to bet on – high-end traits. I'm going to bet on guys with, uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, check the boxes and let the chips fall where they may. It's 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 such a tough position to evaluate because there are just so many factors that go into, uh, you know, who's going to succeed and who's not at the next level. And if we're going to go by history, uh, we're also going to find that there's plenty of quarterbacks who didn't go in the first round and ended up being very good. And obviously Wilson and Prescott come to mind here. And I'm sure if I went down rosters, I'd find somebody else. But those two come to me off the top of my head. Beyond these guys that are potential first-round quarterbacks, who do you like that maybe could be what we would consider a sleeper? Yeah, once we get outside the top five quarterbacks, one, to me, really stands out as being, okay, I can see this guy starting in the league for a long time. 
Uh, and that's Davis Mills out of Stanford, uh, former five-star recruit out of high school. Uh, it really, it just comes down to two areas that you're worried with him. Uh, the left knee, which has been an issue for him since high school, and then the resume, only 11 career starts. And so it, it, you, obviously that comes down to the medicals. And it, as long as the training staff gives me two thumbs up saying, you know, he could re-injure it, but, you know, it's, it's stable right now. And, you know, there's, there's no long-term effects here then I'm feeling good about Davis Mills bringing him into my organization, developing him, and seeing what we can have long-term. 6'4", 220 pounds. He might be the best middle-of-the-field thrower in this draft. Uh, he's a loose passer, uh, so he can move around a little bit. Not, uh, not afraid to test those small windows. A very confident thrower. So with Davis Mills, I think there's a lot of traits that you're willing to bet on once you get to, you know, outside the first round, it just comes down to, uh, you know, making sure you're comfortable with the, the durability factor and then just, uh, you know, the, the lack of resume, the fact that he's going to need some time before he's ready for NFL snaps. How much, if any, stock do you put in the line of thinking that if you're the Niners and you have George Kittle, well, don't worry about drafting a quarterback. Go get Pitts. Those two together are going to make a lot of quarterbacks look really good. You buy any of that thought line of thought? Uh, I mean, yes and no, because selfishly, I, I, I'm here for it. I want to see it. You know, it'll just be a fun from a you know, football viewing perspective. That would be a ton of fun. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, you look at the 49ers uh, last year, you know, coming off a Super Bowl appearance and the inconsistency at quarterback, it just, you know, it was a deal breaker and the 49ers weren't able to compete. So you have to get the quarterback right. And, you know, they, they traded all that draft capital to get up to number three to draft the quarterback. And it'll be interesting to see which one. I think we're kind of still guessing. Um, and I don't think this is a situation where the 49ers are – smoke screening or being coy. I mean, they don't need to be because we know who the first two picks are going to be. At least we feel very, very strongly that Trevor Lawrence will be going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, Zach Wilson to the New York Jets. So for the 49ers, it's more about due diligence. Uh, They were at Trey Lance's pro day uh, the week prior uh, with Justin Fields, the week prior uh, with Matt Jones. And so they traded up to number three with a specific quarterback in mind and then did anything happen these last three weeks to change your mind at all? I, I think they're just they're keeping an open mind through the process. We don't know. And that's what we're kind of waiting to find out. Maybe we'll you know, get some clues here over the final nine days. But the draft starts at number three, and we're still kind of guessing who that's going to be. And that's going to create a, a domino effect because whoever, depending on who goes three, that's going to affect what the Falcons do at four, whether they go quarterback, whether they go best non-quarterback, which we think is Kyle Pitts. Uh, do they trade out of there if the right quarterback's available and we have a quarterback desperate team willing to uh, you know, throw a lot of draft capital at Atlanta to get up to that number four pick? So a lot of intrigue, and it all revolves around what San Francisco does at number three. How much stock do you think the NFL puts into college competition? You know, it's all relative, um, you know, because I think you you look at, uh, you know, teams playing in the SEC and uh, the talent they have around them. I mean, Justin Fields, uh, you know, having the talent that he had at Ohio State, Matt Jones, the talent that he had at Alabama. Yeah, they're facing better defenses, but they also have better talent around them. Uh, You look at Trey Lance, who, yeah, he faced FCS competition, but – He's not really playing with a lot of guys that have NFL future. Uh, you know, the left tackle has a future, uh, NFL future, and then maybe one of those wide receivers 
has a shot. But for the most part, you're playing with uh, guys that aren't aren't going to be professional football players. And I mean, even Zach Wilson, you know, we look at uh, you know Brady Christensen has a chance to be a top 100 draft pick at left tackle, but Dax Milne's more of a late round prospect. Um, you know, the the two guards, Herring and Hodge, and maybe late round prospects. So you know, Zach Wilson did not face the high level of competition that, you know, you would see in the SEC or some other conferences. But at the same time, even though he's playing with a strong supporting cast, he's playing with a good run game, play with a strong offensive line. Uh, you know, his targets were, were good players. They're not, you know, NFL quality for the most part, NFL high end players. And so I think it's all relative. And that, that goes into the thinking when you're evaluating these quarterbacks. All right, so now, Dane, now we're just going to have you step right into it, okay? we got a lot of BYU and Utah fans listening. And BYU fans think the Jets are about to do the right thing. Zach's going to go have a ton of success and make them proud. And this is going to be great, and the Jets are going to break through. There's a long line of Ute fans listening right now who are pretty sure that he is uh, undersized. He's had injury issues, although he's healthy this year. He's going to get beat up in the NFL. He's going to be revealed because he didn't play elite competition this year. And plus, it's the Jets, and they're going to screw up around him. Who's right? Ute fans or Cougar (laughs) fans? How's this going to play out? Well, I, I think just, just focusing on the player, um, I'm a big Zach Wilson fan, I, and, and I've, I've been bullish on that since the fall. Um, you know, I took a lot of heat in my first mock draft back in November. I put Wilson at number two, and people just went nuts. And uh, but I mean, here we are. I think it's become the you know accepted as that's what's going to happen. And I think he's just an easy player to like when you, you watch the off-platform throws, the natural accuracy, the way he can char- change his arm angles and not sacrifice velocity or ball placement. Um, he's a sharp kid. He's athletic. Uh, you know, there, are there things he needs to work on? Yeah, absolutely. He's 21 years old, um, you know, in terms of escaping the pocket before he needs to or uh, just, just the way he, you know, reads certain defenses um, from certain alignments. I mean, there, there are certain things he needs to get better at, but that's nothing that's, you know, uncommon for a true junior quarterback. Uh, do you wish he were bigger? Yeah, I, I wish he was six five and you know two thirty and still moved the way he did. But you know, it's, this is not uh, realistic. Uh, you know, six two two fifteen is decent size and you know good enough to to make it at the next level. Uh, you know, plenty of quarterbacks that size or even smaller have found success. So um, you know, I, I, it's just being smart with your body and staying durable. That's something that's hard to predict. Um, going to the Jets, where Offensive line has not been a strength for that team. I think it's on the upswing. Mekhi Beckton at left tackle is one of the best young left tackles in the league. Uh, you know, they have five picks in the first three rounds. They're going to invest in the offensive line uh, more and more. Uh, and I think when you look at the Jets with a new head coach coming in, Robert Sala, um, you know, he's a player's coach, um, you know, with the LaFleur offensive coordinator, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a system in a Shanahan mold, which fits. Uh, Zach Wilson very well and uh, the uh, general manager Joe Douglas in his second year I think they're headed in the right direction so as long as ownership doesn't get in the way the Jets could be turning the page here I don't think that's crazy to think that when you look at the general manager the head coach and the potential of Zach Wilson and the potential of this roster of what they're putting around him so uh, I'm I'm excited to see how this plays out uh, for both Wilson and the Jets because you know there's definitely a path to success when you break it all down on paper and how it could play out. Yeah, let's hear it for Broadway Zach, huh, going forward. Maybe that'll happen. <laughs> uh, you know, one of, one of the things that we've seen is these 
these individual coaches, particularly at the quarterback position, been getting a lot of run. And John Beck's a former BYU Mm -hmm. quarterback, and he's running these camps down in Southern California. He seems to be everywhere from going to pro days in Florida to being on podcasts. He talked about, I served him on a Peter King one where he talked about when he gets off the field mid-morning or late morning, early afternoon, whatever it is, he's got dozens and dozens of messages waiting for him. Uh, How much do you think that the NFL people are relying on these types of men who are involved in this training to help them with their selections? I don't know that they're relying necessarily, but it is a resource. Um, You know, because NFL teams, there's no such thing as too much information. You want to get all the relevant info and you know it, it could be tough because obviously you know quarterback coaches are a little biased you know how, how truthful are they really going to be with you about a player's strength and weaknesses and even like a player like john or a coach like john beck who you know he's been through the process being a high level college player and then being a drastic being in the nfl and he's coaching multiple quarterbacks in this class it's not like it's just one so it's multiple so is he going to feel comfortable really being honest about where, uh, you know, some of these guys need to improve, where their shortcomings are as players. Um, I, you know, that's where it gets a little tough. It's a little and, – and, you know, it's, it, that happens at every school around the, around the country. Teams know which coaches are being honest with them and which are just going to pump up their players. And that's, that, that's part of it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know John Beck whether or not – you know, because he's not going to necessarily say that publicly, but how he talks with NFL teams – you know, it's that we just we're not sure. We're, we don't know that part of it, and that's something that NFL teams, if you know, if they feel like he's being honest and he's willing to say, hey, this is where you know Justin Fields he needs to get better in this this area, or he's not going to make it. Things like that, it, you know, then they're going to take that. They're going to you know take that into account and see if it matches up with what they're seeing as well. But you know, the quarterback position, there's so many variables that go into success and failure at the NFL level. It's it, it, it's the hardest position to evaluate. So the more information you can get from all these different resources, people that have spent time with the players, understand their psyche a little bit, both on and off the field, you, you take all that into account and, and try to figure it out, come to the best conclusion. So I'm curious what you think the Patriots are going to do, if they're going to go with Cam Newton or if they're setting up another move here. I've seen plenty of speculation. I think they're 15, but I've seen people saying, oh, they can get to 10 if they want a quarterback and make a deal with the Cowboys. And in, and if the five quarterbacks go in the top nine, A, does one of them slip one more spot to them? Or once you're 10, you can get to eight anyway and make another deal. What is Belichick doing? Does anybody have any idea? Or, you know, he's basically the the CIA or FBI of the NFL, and nobody knows. Well, you know, I I think that when you look at uh, the track record, Bill Belichick and his, you know, 25 years or so of being a head coach and, and, you know, a top decision maker for a team, his teams have only drafted a quarterback in the first two rounds once, and that was Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, And so it's, just when you think about it, though, he's had Tom Brady for like what twenty of those years. So I don't know that necessarily is a big enough sample size for us to make a determination about whether or not he's going to take a quarterback early, or whether or not he's going to be aggressive to get that quarterback. I, I think that he spent the last year uh, looking at that offense and how stagnant it could be at times. And you know, they they brought Cam Newton back as. I think that, you know, that's, that's your insurance. That's, you know, that, that's probably the best we could do in terms of free agency, in terms of trades, uh, just bring Cam Newton back. And then, you know, we're going to draft a young guy 
but you know, which young guy is it? it do they have? And, and it's also fair to point out that not all of these teams love all five quarterbacks. You know, Bill Belichick and the Patriots, they might love two of these guys or three of these guys. The Patriots or the Panthers at number eight overall, once uh, it became clear in their minds that Lawrence was going one, Wilson was going two, they said, eh, we don't really love these other guys. We're going to go get Sam Darnold. And, you know, that's going to be part of our figure it out situation uh, at quarterback in Carolina. So, not all these teams love all of these players, and the Patriots, it, it's hard to know. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. If the right player were to slip to maybe, say, seven in Detroit or eight in Carolina, nine Denver, I, that maybe we see a, a trade. And maybe not even just the Patriots, you Washington, some of these other teams. So it's going to be really interesting, you know, quarterbacks maybe one, two, three, four, which you've never seen before. And then where does that fifth quarterback land? Do we see a big trade-up? Which team does it? It's really going to be fascinating on draft line. Well, Dane, we appreciate the time and a few thoughts on the draft. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Thanks for hopping on the show with us. Anytime. Take care, guys. Dane Brugler, you read him. He's the NFL draft analyst for The Athletic. There's Dane Brugler covering the NFL draft. Thanks to him for joining us. Um, I was watching, uh, I was flicking around last night, and, you know, John Gruden for years did this. Uh, um, draft series and talk to quarterbacks in his quarterback room and he's got all his charisma and he's in there grilling guys and so when he goes back to the Raiders ESPN loses that so they got a new series QB 21 or something like that and it's a Curb Herb Street Kirk Herb Street uh, vehicle and you know they can't sit in the room and watch film together they got to get away from Gruden's stick with the pandemic and all that so everything's remote so they um he interviewed Zach Wilson and he brought Steve Young in I came into the middle of it I was just channel surfing when I found it and um Steve Young basically had a testimonial for how I mean Steve Young's all in you know Steve's going to be positive about BY quarterback I mean he's not going to get up there and stamp his feet and say no way what's happening this guy blows if somebody's struggling Steve's just going to be quiet he's not going to go out and rip him. Um, so if he's going to say something, it's going to be positive. But I got to say, he is jumping in with both feet. He is really pumping Zach up. And you know, you got to have the organization around you. You got to be good and you got to do your thing, but you got to have talent around you. You got to have a good coach, um, good GM, good owner, all that kind of stuff. The Jets haven't really been known for that. But Steve doesn't mind, man. Steve thinks Zach is going to be successful, and he was just selling it. The funny thing in this is that they ran a, they ran a tease, and then they came back and talked about it. And Herb Street said to Zach Wilson, this is exactly what PK and I have talked about. He talked about the throw. The throw and the workout and the pro day and the indoor facility where Wilson fakes the handoff, sprints left, and then throws across his body deep down the middle of the field and back to the, towards the far hash and just drops it in, just right down the elevator shaft, right into the receiver's hands, absolutely on the money. Now, there's no pass rush. There's no defense. There's no read. It's just him and one receiver, right? They're doing it against air, but it still looked really cool. And there were oohs and ahs in the building. And the first time I saw it, I got to admit, I stopped. I'm like, wow, I don't think I've seen people make that throw. But they went all in on the throw. And, and Herbstreit was laughing. He says, you got more run than you got off that throw than you got off any throw in any game. And they brought in Max Hall. And they talked about the whole thing about how they were trying to say, hey, he doesn't shy away from any 
challenges or doing any of the tough things. You know, it's 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 he's just throwing to receivers. So what's the hardest thing you can do? You know, throw across your body, throw deep, throw back to the middle of the field. Let's make it as impressive as possible. But it was funny seeing Max Hall get the run. Steve Young was on the show, man. It was just We'll take a quarterback from that decade. We'll take a quarterback from that decade. Where was Sarkeesian? I didn't, I didn't see a quarterback from the 90s. Um, and did I say Max Hall? I meant John Beck. Wrong guy. Uh, no, they talked to, I think it was John Beck, not to Max Hall. But still, the point is, they had a quarterback from that decade. Didn't have anyone from the 90s. Come on. All right, DJ and PK, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk uh, NBA. And we're going to talk Utah Jazz. The Jazz are playing the Rockets tonight. Uh, they had a win. They had a win easily. Andy Bailey, his thoughts on the race down the stretch and the Jazz and the Suns and the playoffs and how they all set up. And we'll talk with Andy next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Spring LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Time to welcome in Andy Bailey, NBA analyst, writer for Bleacher Report, joining the show once again. Andy, welcome back. Thanks for having me, guys. I am curious your take on a lot of people's take on the Jazz, that while they're good, and no one doubts that they are good, what really separates them from multiple teams in the league is the fact that they have just been much healthier. Healthier than the Lakers, healthier than the Clippers, now that Jamal Murray's been hurt, healthier than the Nuggets, healthier than the Sixers and the Nets. Are you buying it? Um, I think that's maybe fair to a degree. Uh, what what that ignores, and I I haven't heard that as much maybe as you have. I've I've certainly sort of seen that in the floating around in the ether. But Utah has been basically since what were they? They started three and three or something like that. Basically since then they've been the best play, the best team in the NBA. Um, and those guys that are are out like LeBron and AD and. Now Jamal Murray, they didn't miss the entire season. Um, so it's not like Utah has suddenly caught up to a bunch of teams since the injuries happened and, and overtaken them. They've been steadily the top team in the league pretty much the entire season. Um, so I, I do think maybe there's a kernel of truth to that. Um, but I also think there's there's just sort of um, a rush to find any way to sort of discount what the Jazz are doing. I, I think another part of it is people still don't think that they have stars and they, they just want to find some way to rationalize. I don't think this team is going to win at all. Or, you know, I don't, I don't trust that they'll, you know, pass the Lakers, Clippers, whatever in the playoffs. So they're just kind of looking for little nuggets here and there that can discount what they've done so far. So we don't know on the circumstances because of the uh, play in or whatever you want to call it, the new formula version of the playoffs who the Jazz would actually face in the first round. But could you handicap the possibilities and who do you think that you would rank as most dangerous as far as who they might meet in the first round? 
Well, with the way Stephen Curry is playing right now, I, I would probably have to throw the Warriors near the top, if, if not at the top for most dangerous um, potential eight seed. Uh, Utah, you know, they have a strong, solid defense, but it's obviously anchored by Rudy Gobert. And I don't, you know, Conley's a, a solid veteran defender who's typically in the right spot. Um, but I don't, I don't think they have a great option to guard Stephen Curry. Um, you know, they, they could throw Royce O'Neal at him or Joe Ingles at him. There's a bunch of different looks that they could give him. But right now it just looks like it, it doesn't matter what's thrown at Stephen Curry. So he would obviously be a problem. Um, John Morant is, is difficult too, but I think of the teams that are kind of in that mix, I, I guess – I'll back up a little bit. The teams that I think are, are in the mix to wind up eighth are Portland, Dallas, Memphis, Golden State, and San Antonio. Of those, I think Golden State and Dallas are probably the two toughest matchups. Um, Memphis probably Memphis and San Antonio probably the least toughest, and then Portland somewhere in the middle. I, I keep waiting for Portland to fall off, and they have a little bit here recently, but I hesitate to, to – uh, doubt Damian Lillard. I, there are problems with all of those teams. This is, kind of, this is sort of an answer that's all over the place. Um, but that's just sort of the nature of the West. Every one of these teams has star players um, with the with the possible exception of the Spurs. I know some people would probably argue that DeRozan is still a star and he's certainly been great this season. Um, but there are problems up and down <laughs> that 6 through 10 range. The, the Western Conference is just loaded as ever but if I had to pick one that you really really want to avoid it's probably Curry and then after that maybe Luka Doncic so you bring up Curry and he's hit 10 three-pointers in four of his last five games I think and he's got six on the year and there's only like five games where somebody's hit 10 threes in a game in the whole rest of the league this year it's off the charts but he's not going to con- you're not playing him now it's a month to the playoffs He's not going to keep this pace up for another month to get to the playoffs and then two weeks in a playoff series, is he? (laughs) You wouldn't think that's possible. Um, But the way that he's playing right now, and I I was just looking up some numbers this morning, and it's obviously not 10 threes per game. Um, But when you look at his numbers with James Wiseman or Kelly Oubre off the court, and it's maybe not fair to, to, you know, throw Golden State struggles on those two guys. Um, but I think what it is, is is when certain players are off and the ball is in Curry's hands more and, and he's more of that heliocentric type of a player or playmaker, um, Utah's just – or Utah. Golden State is just a lot better, and so is Stephen Curry. I mean, when, when he controls every possession, um, he's just been lights out. I, I think the numbers – I'm going to pull them up so I don't get them wrong, but when, when Oubre's been off the floor this season, and a lot of this is influenced by the recent hot streak, but – Curry's averaging 38.73s and six assists per 75 possessions with a with a true shooting percentage around 70. Um, and Golden State is is wailing on teams in those minutes too. So he's he's going to be a nightmare whoever he plays, even if he calms down a little bit from what he's done in the last 10 or 11 games. Um, he, I, he he's a guy who I think could single handedly win a series, I, I, potentially against just about anybody. In the West, I mean, I would I would certainly pick the Jazz to win in five or six games over the Warriors. Um, but I, you know, I I wouldn't be shocked if Stephen Curry had four games where he was just completely unstoppable. Um, 
so so I think you make a good point. He's probably not going to be doing what he's doing now in in a month or month and a half or whatever. Um, but he's going to be ridiculously dangerous, assuming he even gets to eight. I mean, like you said, we've got the play in tournament still. So you put out a tweet. It's always interesting to me when commentators and analysts you casually claim that Donovan Mitchell is Utah's best player. You're trying to make a point there, but I'm not exactly sure what the point is. Could you explain? Um, yeah, I mean, to me, I think it's pretty clearly Rudy Gobert, um, who is not only the Jazz's best player this season, but has been for five or six years now. Um, and I think it's a general comment on, and hopefully it doesn't seem too much of a slight to Donovan Mitchell, but it's it's more of a comment on how good Rudy Gobert is and how he's he's just sort of not not necessarily ignored by the national media because he's obviously won a couple of Defensive Player of the Year awards. He's been all NBA. He's been an All Star. Um, but I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. A lot of commentators and analysts think the Jazz don't have a star, and it's easier to trust a guy like Kawhi Leonard or LeBron James in the playoffs because oh, the Jazz don't have a top ten to fifteen player. Um, but in terms of impact, Rudy Gobert is absolutely a top ten to fifteen player. Um, and maybe this is a semantics argument. There, there's a debate between, <laughs> is there a difference between best player and most impactful player? Um, I, I don't think there is. I, I, I've heard the argument that it's different, and I think if you wanted to say Donovan Mitchell has more basketball skill than Rudy Gobert, um, that's, that's probably impossible for me to argue against because um, he just he can do more things. But ultimately, I, I think what matters most to me is who moves the needle the most towards winning, and that's been Rudy Gobert, not just for the Jazz, but, but he's one of the biggest needle movers, for lack of a better term, in the entire NBA, and he has been for half a decade. Um, you know, there are a couple people out there, I think John Hollinger is one of them, who've actually said, you know, he deserves more recognition in the MVP race. Uh, he, he certainly won't win it and he may not get many votes but he's he's a guy who could certainly earn a you know top three vote for MVP I mean the Jazz are the best team in the league and like I said they've been the best team all season and I think Gilbert is is pretty clearly the biggest reason for that Andy Bailey joining us NBA analyst and writer for Bleacher Report so the Jazz play the Lakers twice and we see because of that we're following the Lakers a little close in all their media and we see the reports that uh Anthony Davis could literally be back for the next game. And if not, you know, he'll be back in a week. He seems very close. But the reports on LeBron that he's still weeks, plural, away, there aren't that many weeks left in the regular season. We're in the playoffs in four weeks. So uh, is there enough uh, runway here for LeBron to get back into basketball shape and for the team to all get on the same page and be in a playoff groove? I mean, I know he's LeBron, but is he just going to conjure this up out of thin air? Yeah, I, I think there's reason for some concern if you're a Lakers fan or, or you're in that organization. Um, I think the fallback is what you just said. LeBron is LeBron, and I think he's reached a point in his career where it's hard to it's hard to discount him um, until we've actually seen him falter, and he really hasn't since 2011. Um, and they've got you know, they've got a lot of chemistry to fall back on from last season's playoff run, and their defense is still you know pretty solid even without those two guys in there. So there's a lot going for them. Um, you know, I, I, this has quieted down in the last couple of weeks because I think the Lakers without those two have been a little bit better than people expected. But if he really is out for, you know, two, three, four weeks pushing up against the playoffs, then I think 
the chances of them falling into that play-in mix are, if not great, at least they're bubbling back to the surface. Um, and, you know, if they have LeBron and AD for a play-in tournament, you know, whatever the format is, it's hard to imagine them losing two games, but that's a possibility. Um, and then if they, you know, if they wind up seventh or eighth, I, it's it's a tough matchup for the Jazz, obviously, but I, I think the Lakers would prefer to play the Nuggets without Jamal Murray than the Jazz. Um, so they're certainly... <laughs> There's certainly cause for concern uh, among Lakers fans. I think I think they would all be pretty confident in a series against the Jazz. Let's say if it wound up that way, um, but that's that would be a heck of a first round series. And I and I think you could make an argument that the Jazz are the better team. So I am going to go on strike unless Donovan Mitchell gets first team All NBA. Is it a waste of time for me to think he's got a shot? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I would start working on your picket signs. Um, I th- there's just so many talented guards and and I actually saw something really interesting about Mitchell. I wish I could remember who tweeted this because I I would give him credit. Um, I think it may have been the guy who started Basketball Reference, but I can't. Uh, Justin Kubatko, I think, is his name. But anyway, um, he posted something like players who average 25 points and five assists on the best the team with the best record in the league traditionally have been the MVP. It's it's only happened a handful of times. Um, and we have to we have to look at Mitchell's numbers in the context of what's happening this season. I mean, there there's an offensive and a statistical explosion this season that's really <clears throat> unlike anything that I've ever seen covering the league. And I've you know I've only been doing this for ten years, um, but I've I've certainly spent a lot of time looking at the history of the league through assignments that I've had and things like that. Um, and this is very unusual. But but all of this is to say that. You know, I I'm a, you read that tweet I had earlier, and again, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm discounting Donovan Mitchell, um, but he he really is having a phenomenal season, and just in terms of round numbers, it is comparable to some MVP campaigns, and so I think there's an argument for him to be first team All NBA, um, but you're 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 talking about guards that he's got to be put above and you know what Stephen Curry's doing right now what Luka Doncic has done for a lot of the season and I don't you know maybe they can qualify him as a forward I don't know I, there's just so many good guards this season that he would have to leapfrog I, I think you could make the argument but I hope you've got some some spray paint and some signs that you could put together for that I do man and I'm, I'm going to start at your house <laughs> So there are plenty of people who will not vote for him and will justify it. And and basically the line of thinking is Utah is the Milwaukee of the West. They're going to win a lot of games. They might even be fun to watch on TV. But when the going gets tough, the Bucks get going. <laughs> right on out of the playoffs. Yeah. And the same thing's going to happen to the Jazz. They're going to lose to the Lakers in the second round. There's going to be uh, 24 hours of big fat I told you so's before the rest of the NBA turns around to watch big boy basketball with the Lakers or the Clippers and the Nets and the Sixers. You would say what? Well, first of all, um, a lot of those takes, and, and I have felt this way for years, really annoy me. Um, because it's really easy to pick a team and say they're not going to win the championship and then come back and do I told you so later. I mean, there are 29 teams that are not going to win the championship. And so a lot of analysts and and other people can pound their chest about something like that and have a very high percentage chance (laughs) 
to be right. And then, you know, on the, the off year that they're wrong or whatever, like the 2011 Mavericks or the 2004 Pistons or, you know, we could probably pick a few other surprising championship teams over the years. Um, there's there's never the mea culpa. <laughs> you know, I was I was wrong. Maybe there is occasionally, but you just don't see those as often. Um, you know, everybody doubts the team that hasn't done it until – they've done it. And I think maybe there's a little bit of fairness to that. I mean, there's sort of a subconscious part of me that thinks, yeah, it's easier to trust Kawhi Leonard in the playoff series or LeBron James in the playoff series because we've, we've seen it before. Um, we've experienced Kawhi Leonard take over an entire postseason like he did with the Raptors. Um, we've seen LeBron James in the, in the finals for however long it was in a row, nine, 10 years, whatever, whatever that streak was. Um, so, yeah, it's a little easier to discount the teams that haven't climbed all the way up the mountain yet, like the Jazz and the Bucks. Um, but I also think if you just look at things objectively, um, Utah is on pace to break the record for most threes made per game for a season. They're shooting close to 40% from three. They've got, they've got one of the best defenders of all time. They've got a guy who can take over a series, and Donovan Mitchell, as we saw against the Nuggets last season. They obviously didn't win that series, but what Mitchell did was absurd. So you've got, you know, that guy that everybody kind of looks for in the playoffs um, who could take over on offense. You've got veterans like Conley and Ingles. Um, there's depth, there's shooting, there's defense. I, I think there's a very strong case to be made that the Jazz are one of those teams that can buck the trend. And if you if you dig your heels in and say, you know, the Jazz are going to win, you ha- you have a lot less you, you have a lot lower chance of being right than the people who can get on TV and say there's no chance the Jazz will win. Um, so it's <laughs> it's a little bit tougher call. Um, but I think to discount them outright and just say they have no chance is kind of ridiculous, frankly. But then to go with the theory of you've got to do it before we believe you can do it, and there's only two players or two teams, and it's the Clippers and the Lakers then, right? Because Steph Curry doesn't have yeah, enough horses I, right now. Durant, maybe the Nets, if he's healthy. Yeah, and I'm starting to wonder about the Nets because um, <laughs> they just they can't seem to get all three guys going at the same time, and maybe they're just being abundantly cautious, and and everybody will be fine in the playoffs. Um, but you're right. I, I think the default is you know it's easy to pick the Clippers or the Lakers, and I think it's easy to to justify those picks. Um, but I, I, I really do believe that this season, and I can probably knock the Nuggets off this. In fact, I, I think it's pretty safe to do so. But there are seven or eight teams that I think you could make a really good faith argument that they could win it all. Um, there's a ton of parity in the league right now, I think more than some people realize. And there's, there's a lot of variance with how many threes that these teams shoot. Um, you know, you can go on a cold streak for – two weeks and be done, or you can go on a hot streak for a month, month and a half and win it all. Um, and I, you know, there's a lot of variance with teams around the league. And I think there's actually a little bit less with the jazz because they are a really consistent three point shooting team. Um, you know, guys like Ingles and Conley and Mitchell have all been, you know, pretty good three point shooters for a while now. Bogdanovich is another one. Um, they, they've got a lot of options Offensively, and I think they've got a great anchor in Gobert. So, I think their variance is is slightly less chaotic than than some of the other teams in the league. I, I do think they have a solid shot. So load up the vans, everybody going to Wendover. Oh, never mind. Just grab your phone. You can bet on your phone. You have to drive an hour and a half. 
Andy says it's yes, going to be okay. <laughs> or did I, did I oversell that? <laughs> well, uh, be okay is probably a good way to put it. I, I am increasingly every year becoming one of those analysts who hesitates to make predictions. Um, Cause it's just, I mean, in the years when the golden state warriors had Durant and Curry, you know, full strength, it's easy to just say, Oh, let's chalk it up to the warriors. Um, when the season starts, but crazy stuff happens in the NBA every single season. Um, and I, you know, I don't think you'd be flushing your money down the toilet if you, if you put some on the jazz. Um, but like I said, there are just so many good teams that I could see making it all the way. I mean, you mentioned the bucks earlier. I, I think it's too early to even discount them. Um, the Sixers have a dominant, dominant big man in, in Joel Embiid. Um, the Clippers and Lakers, we've already talked about. The Jazz, I, I'm, I'm a little more hesitant with the Suns than some other people are, but they've got a, a good, you know, modern roster with a veteran point guard who um, is certainly hungry right now. So there are, there are a lot of teams that you could put your money on. Um, if you're the gambling type, I, I, I don't think the Jazz are a terrible bet, though. Andy, we will leave it right there. Andy writes for Bleach Report, covers the uh, NBA as an analyst and writer for them. You can read his stuff there. Andy, we'll have you again on the show as the playoffs get closer. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. There's Andy Bailey. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.